0: Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 5, if you'll turn with me there. These chapters in 2 Samuel we'll see now begin to really describe the efforts uh, of King David uh, to sort of, uh, as a leader of the nation, seek to strengthen and to unite the nation. Uh, He begins to take some steps in his administration to kind of move the nation in a right direction. Uh, We'll see in these chapters in front of us, he seeks to establish a new capital city for Israel uh, to move the capital from Hebron to Jerusalem, fittingly enough. Uh, We'll see in uh, chapter 6 as well that David there desires to restore the things of God back to the center of the nation, to the capital, Jerusalem, that he will establish as he seeks to bring the ark back. And really what he's desiring there is to bring uh, the things of God back into the center of the lives of of the people of the nation of Israel and to really just kind of help usher in or seek to usher in the presence of God. So look at me in chapter five as we pick it up there. It tells us there important word, the second word, then all, all the tribes of Israel. Remember up to this point, David has only been reigning over the southern area of Israel, uh, over the area of Judah. It tells us uh, that the people in that day, only the southern part of the nation, had given their allegiance to David as king. And there was a time where the nation was divided. And remember, Ishbosheth, one of the sons of Saul, was reigning over the other 11 tribes for a short period of time. He was sort of just a puppet king, but uh, he's now been removed. Abner, who was really the military leader and the one asserting all these things to keep the nation divided, uh, he made an effort, as he had a change of heart, to bring the other nations back under David's allegiance, we saw last time, but then was murdered, unfortunately, by Joab before he could actually see and experience that come to pass. But now as we come to chapter 5, we see the nation being consolidated. And we see now it says, all the tribes... So this is the fullness of God's promise, the fullness of God's calling for David as the next ruler of Israel coming to pass here. This is then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, where he was ruling from over the southern area at that time, and spoke, saying... Indeed, we are your bone and flesh. And the idea behind that is not only are we family, but we have just as much share in you, they're trying to say now, as our king, as the people of Hebron and the people of Judah, the southern part of Israel there that has embraced you. They're saying we are bone, we're family uh, together with you, family and bone and flesh as well. And also, verse 2, in time past, they said, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. So here we have, as I said, the consolidation now of all of the different tribes coming together under King David as their ruler now. And this is now referenced in verse 3, they anointed David king over all of Israel. This is now the third time we see David being anointed. Remember, David was first anointed back in 1 Samuel there where Samuel the prophet came to David at that time. Keep in mind, he was maybe somewhere between 12 to 15 years old when that horn of oil was dumped over his head and he was identified As the ruler of God's people, the one whom God had chosen, when God rejected Saul, he said, I have chosen a man after my own heart. And David was the young man. God saw something in his heart as a very young man, the shepherd king that he would raise up. And David was anointed there, and of course, then went through a a season of time, and then ultimately was being prepared and, and experiencing challenges as God was developing his character, ultimately for these very days when he would take complete control over the entire nation and god was preparing him the second time we saw him anointed was when the people of hebron anointed him as king over the southern part of the nation and now here we see this third anointing or recognition publicly of david as the king over all israel and boy really what we have here is all the rest of the nation the other 11 tribes finally sort of catching up with god's plan and agenda I mean, it took them a little while. I mean, there was a process of time where they were not on board with what God was doing and were living kind of in in rebellion to God's plan and to God's purposes. And it, it took a little while for them to get on track spiritually with the, the the acceptance of the right king and ruler over their lives. But, you know, as we look at this, quite honestly, it's a very fitting picture of really what happens, honestly, in all of our lives. Sometimes it takes a little time. Uh, For us to get on track with God's program, uh, to get on board with God's agenda and to fully embrace the rulership of Jesus over our lives. Perhaps some of us can look back in our own life experience or uh, people maybe we know where, you know, a person accepts Jesus as Lord and there's sort of just the, the acknowledgement of, of accepting Christ, I should say better, as Savior, uh, understanding the forgiveness of sins, not wanting to go to hell, wanting to go to heaven. But sometimes that, there is that process. That comes to pass in our lives where we come to that place where we really embrace the rulership of Jesus over our life. And we may know his salvation and forgiveness of sins... But perhaps we're kind of lagging and we're not on board with what God's fullest plan is, is that Jesus would rule over us, that he would be king enthroned in our heart and we'd really be living in submission to him. And this is kind of what we have here. The people are kind of now they're getting on track. They're embracing what God wants. They're even acknowledging that you notice they mentioned three things in regards to the purpose while they're accept, why they're accepting David as their king, as mentioned in verse 1, they mention, first of all, that, that David was one of them. They say, indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. They're basically saying, David, you're one of us. Uh, you're just like the rest of us. He was a, a Hebrew, and certainly that was important, but I think more than that, that they recognized that, that David was, was, was a person just like the rest of them. Again, where, what was this guy's pedigree? He was a shepherd. He came from a very common, simple family. He didn't come from a royal family. Uh, He didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. This is someone who just very down to earth, you know, very humble beginnings, and the Lord brought him through a process. But listen, that process was a really wonderful thing because it prepared David with the right character to be able to be the king that God wanted him to be, ruler over his people. If you think about it, it's going to say in the next verses that David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and then he reigned 40 years. Remember a moment ago I said when David was anointed by Samuel, he was probably somewhere between 12 to 15 years old. So uh, that's quite a process of God preparing him and getting him ready. And, And it was because God took him through those events over those years that he was ready for this day now to be able to handle the responsibility. And I'll tell you, there is nothing worse than when a person experiences success or position or power and they are not prepared with the right character to be able to handle it. There's no more dangerous, destructive, or unhealthy thing. And, and a lot of times the process of preparation in our life, it usually takes a little longer than we expect. Usually we think, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, a little bit of preparation, but a lot of times that work of God preparing us for maybe what he's going to do in our life, that day that's going to come to pass that maybe we're longing for or looking forward to, sometimes there's a little bit more of a preparation work that actually needs to happen in our heart and life verse than we actually envision sometimes. And so David here, quite a process, but this day's now coming to pass. David, you're one of us. They mention as well in verse 2, they say, even when Saul was the one who was king... You were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. Uh, That's basically a a Hebrew way of saying, David, you were the one that God was granting all the military success to anyway. Basically, they're saying, David, even when Saul held the position of, of being our legitimate ruler, you were the one that was already proving that you had the capacity to lead us. You were the one that was the evident leader among us, the one who was guiding us and, and providing leadership for us, even when you didn't have the title or the, the role. You were already providing the ministry of, of leadership. And as well, they say in verse 3, as well, you are the one who the Lord has chosen. that said, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. So they recognize the calling of God was on David's life. And I look at this and I think, what a beautiful example that is for when God would use someone in a role of leadership, Th- those same three things, that, that they would just be someone who is just like everybody else. They don't think there's anything special about them. I'm just, look, I had the same flesh and bone, you know, as, as everybody else, and that you just, somebody, it doesn't matter what your background or pedigree, you're just a normal person like everybody else that you're leading and loving and serving. And that there would be that awareness that people would look at you, yes, you may be our leader, but but you're also just like one of us. And and you're just like, and and there's something about that that's very beautiful in the humility of someone who can be used to lead and to serve people, but at the same time, the people that they're leading and guiding and providing authority and, and direction over also recognize. But you're just like one of us, though. You're our leader, but you're just like one of us. And as well, that any leader would have those same qualities that David did, which is that David was already leading and, and demonstrating that he could lead and he was already serving and ministering before he had any roles or title assigned to him. He was already doing the work. You know, so often people in the business realm, they want the position and the title first, then you get, you know, you get to work and doing it. And, and in God's kingdom, it's an upside down kingdom. In the body of Christ, we don't give people a title and a position and then let them start to serve. In the body of Christ, we look for people who are servants. We look for people who are already serving and already leading and already doing the things of the work of the Lord that then we can ratify and identify, hey, it's obvious this person's already a leader. This person's already a servant. This person's already serving in that way like David here. And as well, that the calling of God would be upon their life they wouldn't be asserting themselves but like david the people acknowledged god spoke of you god's calling is on your life and that matters more than anything else any preparation any education any background anybody could have coming into a position so they now coronate david as their king there at hebron making a covenant together recognizing him publicly in verse four says david was 30 years old when he began to reign so again a good 15 to 18 years that preparation process before he came to the throne and he then reigned for 40 years now i was thinking about that today we struggle in our country when we have a national leader for four years right (laughs) eight years are really oh my goodness eight years imagine I mean truly imagine the same ruler over a nation of people for 40 years 40 years that is quite a reign for 40 years David reigned over the people as a shepherd king the king that God had chosen for them no terms or anything of that It says in verse 5, in Hebron, that early reign, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. We've seen that. And now in Jerusalem, which is going to be the new capital, he will then go on to reign over the entire nation. It says 33 years over all Israel and Judah combined, over the unified tribes of the nation of Israel. And notice what's going to happen now as we go forward is now that David has become king over all the tribes, what David, one of the first orders of business in his mind is, is he wants to move now his capital city from Hebron to Jerusalem. David recognizes that this is very important, first of all, just strategically and logistically. Hebron was very far south in the country. So for David to keep the capital city as the king over the entire nation of Israel, all 12 tribes, in Hebron really wouldn't be very practical. So he wants to move his administration for practical purpose and logistics further north into a location that would be more central to all of the tribes in Israel. So he now wants to move his central administrative office, if you would, and the capital of the city to make the capital city, Jerusalem, as well as the fact of the spiritual roots and connection that were uh, attached to that. And again, Psalm 48 speaks of of how beautiful Jerusalem sits in its elevation. And again, Jerusalem was a really great location because if you look at the topography of Jerusalem, you recognize that it sits in an elevated location and on three sides of the city of Jerusalem, there are are valleys and ravines. There's really only one side from the north that you can actually, Actually come up against it, which makes it a very easy capital city to defend. That's why it was a very strategic location. And so David, again, here just using wisdom, practicality, he's going to now make Jerusalem his capital is he wants to take it over and set up that as the capital city because at this point you'll notice Israel's not in complete control of that location verse 6 says the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the Jebusites all the way back from the days of Joshua from the time when they conquered these different areas the Jebusites kept retaining it seems little pocket of control over the area of the city of Jerusalem and there's this constant push to be trying to drive them out but it had never yet been done but it will now be done under the administration and rulership of David David will now claim Jerusalem as the capital city for the people of Israel through his administration at the early part of his reign here so the king and his men they went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites still lodged there the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, they're taunting him, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, a reference to Jerusalem, that is the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, He shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the millow and inward. So the Bible is describing to us here how there was this exchange of taunting and sarcasm as they began to advance towards the city of Jerusalem. And the people of the, the Jebusites, the people that were inhabiting the land, they were taunting you can tell David and his men saying you're not going to come in here as I said very strategically located and they felt very secure and and what they're basically saying is look there's no way that you're going to come in here they're saying look even even our blind people could defeat you we're so secure here in jerusalem even our people who are lame and paralyzed they could hold off an attack from you coming in here and taking over our city but what they're forgetting is david is a very savvy and experienced military man I mean, this guy's been fighting battles for a while and so david here proposes among his soldiers with him listen whoever is willing he says verse 8 to climb up by way of the water shaft to climb up that supply line, that rocky, narrow area where the water would be brought into the city. He says, whoever's willing to climb up that and make a surprise attack and overthrow the city, he says, he'll be awarded to be my chief and my captain. And the other accounts, First Chronicles, tell us that actually Joab takes him up on this idea and chooses to lead a group of men up through the water shaft, and this is how Jerusalem is overthrown and becomes the stronghold and the capital city of the nation of Israel and where David would rule and reign from. Verse 9, it says, David dwelt there in that stronghold, called it the city of David, and then notice, once he took control of Jerusalem, he began to build from there... Uh, outward and inward. The millow is basically a reference to a term of fullness. Many believe it's just a reference to like a stone wall area that was sort of a, a supporting area that they built some things off of, off of. Verse ten tells us so when David then went on and became great, so his kingdom's now expanding. And notice the reason why he became great: the Lord God of hosts was with him please notice the connection there david went on david became a great man a great king his kingdom began to expand but the bible says it was because of one reason the presence of the lord being with him it was a favor of god being upon david's life and you know any amount of greatness that comes from david's life or that comes from any of our lives it has nothing to do with us It's not because we're so great at doing something or we're so gifted or talented. It's the presence of the Lord that brings anything great and good out of our lives. And what a a wonderful thing to realize that we can honestly be in some ways more deficient than other people. We may not have the same skills or capacities or capabilities to do things, but if the Lord's presence is with us, we can be a, a better salesman than anybody. If the Lord's presence is with us, we can be a better employee or more successful in anything that we put our hand to do because the favor and the hand of the Lord is with us. And he can cause us to prosper and to succeed because he is with us, giving us wisdom, giving us favor and blessing in what we do as we represent him and he works through our lives. So David now, again, becoming this great king. And notice, being recognized by other surrounding nations. Now Hiram, verse 11. It says, the king of Tyre, this is the Phoenician people, a seafaring people to the north who would want to be in good relationship with Israel so that they didn't block up the shipping lanes as they would send supplies downward uh, from the area there of Phoenicia. Hiram, king of Tyre, says during this time, sent messengers to David, as well as cedar trees and carpenters and masons, skilled workmen. And they built David a house. So now this beautiful palace is being built. By David, and we'll see in other places in the Bible as we go forward that it seems that the the men of Tyre uh, just seemed to have incredible skilled laborers, whether it was stone cutters or masons or carpenters. If you wanted something built custom Uh, you wanted the people of Tyre to come down and do it for you and so now this sort of political alliance to try and recognize the greatness of David's rulership the king of Tyre wants to build a friendship so he comes down and very graciously helps to build this beautiful extravagant palace for David there in the city where he's reigning verse 12 notice so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So take note verse 12. David understood that the Lord had established him as king and that the Lord had put him in that place to rule over and care for the people and had exalted his kingdom and that it was only for the sake of the people. It wasn't for David's sake. It says here, David understood, Lord, The only reason you have put me in the role and the place that I'm in, the only reason you have given me the authority and the opportunity to rule over and to serve and to lead these people from a place that I am in, it's for their sake. He knew that this was all about what was best for the people. And again, what a a, a beautiful outlook to have that what God was doing was for the sake of his people. God cared about the people. And whenever God gives us an opportunity to serve him, whether it be in the highest capacity of you know, rulership, a, a king of a nation, or whether it be in any role, to realize that we're not in that place or position for any other reason other than for the sake of the people that God loves. That God loves those people. And he wants to use us to help them and to serve them or to teach them or to care for them. And whether, again, it's children or teenagers or adults. But Lord, you've given me this role. You've given me this opportunity for the sake of these people. And that, that gives you a whole different outlook of humility and stewardship and wanting to do what's best because you realize that the Lord's given you that role to, to care for the people for their sake. It really takes a whole different perspective as David here acknowledged and recognized this. Now, as we've seen, David's a great man, but David had flaws. And the Bible's very honest about one of David's major flaws, which we've talked about before, and we see it happening here again. This is one of the not so great things that David did. Verse 13 David took more concubines and wives. From Jerusalem again wives are legitimate marriages concubines are typically women that you would have that you would live together with for sexual pleasure but there was no legality of marriage no covenant relationship just women that you cohabited with so David here is basically just following the patterns culturally of all the other kings in that day and so here it says that David took more concubines and wives when he reigned there in Jerusalem After he'd come from Hebron, also more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names who were born to him in Jerusalem. Now, uh, the only one here that really makes uh, much difference to us of importance is verse 14. The reference to Solomon there, we'll see, who will succeed David. But again, David, poor decision here he's violating the very uh, you know command and, and and instruction of marriage from Genesis chapter 2 that one man and one woman uh, would join together and and, and live as, as one flesh and he's taking multiple wives and women to himself as well as a direct violation also of Deuteronomy 17 which said that the kings specifically kings were not to multiply to themselves gold and silver horses or wives That God did not want his king to behave the same way that the kings of the nations did in their practices. And David here just completely disregards this. With his unregulated passions, this is just an area of weakness in David's life apparently. And he just totally disregards the word of God in this area. He just completely ignores what is right and some of these marriages certainly probably were for political reasons but a lot of them was just him adopting the practices of that day and the kings in that day one of the ways that they wanted to show their greatness typically was to have a large harem and if you had a large harem and lots of sons and daughters that was an outward impression of your greatness because that also meant that you had enough gold and silver and resources to be able to care for all those things in your palace, to have all these wives and concubines and children, it was a way to kind of manifest your greatness by having this large harem and large family. And David here uh, being very culturally relevant, but really completely disregardant of the things of God in making this error here. Well, verse 17 says, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search David so this perennial enemy of Israel the Philistines now they realize David is beginning to really get situated in his rulership and they now realize that they have a threat on their hands and they want to come against David because there's been constant conflict between David and the Philistines so they went up to search for David and David heard got word intelligence and he went down to the stronghold and the Philistines went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So they positioned themselves, it seems, to launch an attack now against David to try and overthrow him in his throne early on to try and hinder his ability to get traction and to, to grow in his power and authority. So verse 19, David wisely, as he has many times before, notice, it says, He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? So David prays, Lord, there's this threat. Lord, there's this situation. I, I'm about to be attacked or assaulted. Lord, there's a, a situation. And he, he, he just prays and says, Lord, what should I do? Should I go up and attack them? Should I retreat? How should I handle this? And again, this shows, as I said, the wisdom in the heart of David toward the Lord, that he actually takes the time to patiently pray and inquire of the Lord and not just jump right in to a practical solution by figuring this out in his flesh. And, and this would be a challenge for someone like David, who's a trained military man. David could very easily just put things into gear and say, okay, business as usual. A fight is a fight. I know how to fight. A problem's a problem. I know how to solve problems. I've been fighting fights and going to battle and solving problems for years. And so I'm just going to push button A and follow outline B C, And But David doesn't do that. David says, Lord, do you want me to do something about this? First of all, Lord, do I have your permission? Do you want me to get involved? Do you want me to respond to this? And how would you want me to go about it? He's praying, seeking God's guidance. That's always a very wise thing to do, whether an individual and certainly if you have any realm of leadership, responsibility in your family or any role, Lord, he says, will you deliver them? Or are you going to give me success? And the word of the Lord came. God answers when we seek his direction. Notice, the Lord said to David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand." So God gives him permission. God tells him to directly go up. He guides him how to go about it. Verse 20, so David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water, like the power of water, if you've ever seen it, like just you know rushing through the strength of it, breaking through. And he says, this is like the victory that God just gave to us. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perazim, which is basically a word that means the master of breakthroughs. The master of breakthroughs, or the Lord of breakthroughs. And I look at that and I think, man, what a really cool name to describe the Lord. That David was facing a situation, an obstacle, something that was a problem, and he prayed and he sought the Lord, and the Lord gave him direction and guidance, and he stepped into the situation. And when he stepped into the situation, following the guidance of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the help of the Lord, intervened in that situation because David was following God's leading and what God asked him to do and the Lord he says brought a breakthrough the Lord brought a breakthrough and he calls that place the master of breakthroughs he says the Lord brought a breakthrough in this situation and and listen we serve a God ladies and gentlemen who has not changed the Bible says in Malachi I the Lord God change not God doesn't change and God's not a God of partiality and sometimes The enemy of our soul may come against us. Sometimes we may find ourselves facing situations and we're praying and saying, Lord, I don't know what to do and how should I handle this? And then the Lord speaks to us and and he says, look, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to handle it. And the wonderful thing is I tell you, we serve a God that at times is the master, listen, the master of breakthroughs. Oh, I, just, I don't know how it's just it's impossible. Lord, there's just no way. listen, there's with God that doesn't exist. There may be no way humanly, but He's the master of bringing breakthroughs. The master of breakthroughs. All our responsibility is is to not push and strive and try and take hold of it and make it happen ourselves. But what did David do? He prayed, He lifted it before the Lord. He received guidance from God what to do and he only did what God told him to do and then when God was leading him, God brought the breakthrough and he recognized that God had brought this breakthrough and, and defeat from one of the enemies and situations that was confronting him and what a great incursion. Maybe tonight you need the Lord to bring a breakthrough to realize that's who he is. He's the master of breakthroughs. Pray, seek him to do that in your situation as well. Verse 21 says, and they left their images there. The idea is they fleed for fear, the people did. And David and his men carried them away. Now, First Chronicles 14 uh, fills in the detail and tells us that David's men actually went and then burned and destroyed these idols and images, so don't get the idea they just kept them for their own idolatrous worship practices. The 1 Chronicles a lot of times fills in many of the details here of the short summary account that Second Samuel gives to us. We'll see it expanded when we get there. A lot of the same stories. Verse 22, then notice the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said you shall not go up but circle around behind them and come upon them in the front of the mulberry trees and it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees then you shall advance quickly for then the lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the philistines and david did so as the lord commanded him and he drove back the philistines from giba as far as gaizer so Notice what happens now. David defeats the Philistines. He has a tremendous breakthrough. The Lord gives him victory and he has success in a military campaign. And then verse 22, and the Holy Spirit no doubt gives this to us very purposely, even the language, verse 22, the Philistines, it says, went up once again. So they return. And once again, they come back and deploy themselves where? at the valley of Rephaim, the exact same location as before. So now you have the enemy returning for another battle, a second round. And listen, in the same way spiritually, when we have victory or, or we defeat some effort of the enemy of our soul in our life, just because we won one battle doesn't mean that the war is over spiritually. He's going to come back again. It tells us even of Jesus when the devil was tempting him. I believe it's in Luke chapter four and you know, the temptations kept coming against Jesus and Jesus, remember, he resists the devil's temptation and then the scripture says, so the devil left him until an opportune time. You know That's the way the devil works. He's an opportunist. So he comes and he attacks and he assaults and if we stand our ground and resist him or we overcome his attacks or we overcome temptation to sin, uh, we won the battle. But it doesn't mean the war's over. There's a lot of battles in a war and there's going to be a constant battle and the enemy of our soul is going to keep returning again and again. So now the Philistines, their enemy, return again and they position themselves deployed in the exact same valley as last time. Now, humanly, if that were you and I, what would we do? We, Hey, I've already done this before. Fought this battle before, had success before. I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't even have to pray about it this time. This is the same scenario, same situation, same people. I just run the same play, touchdown, no problem. David doesn't do that. It says that David instead, though the same situation presented itself, he inquired of the Lord again. And and the Lord this time said, David, don't do the same thing as last time. Notice that David did not just assume That he was to employ the exact same military strategy this time as he did last time. David understood that God does not work in formulas. And that God may not use the same strategy this time in your life or in my life to give you victory or success that he did last time in our life. And we have to be very careful of this. Because we're very prone to just think when we've had victory in some way or maybe we've accomplished something, the Lord's worked in a situation or he's used us in some way. We're very prone as people. We kind of have this tendency to just sort of think, well, okay, that's how last time God worked in my life. That's how it happened last time. So, okay, I just I just implement the same strategy. I just follow the same spiritual formula. And that's how I'll get victory this time. That's how I'll have success a second time because this is the same thing, same situation. And the reality is that may not always be the case. And so we have to be careful. And so David here wisely, he prays and he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Same situation. And this time, notice word came back from the Lord. Verse 23, David, this time don't go up. Different strategy, David. He says, circle around this time. And we're going to fight this battle a different way and wait, he says, don't just rush in like last time I told you, David, go up, go straight on, direct, direct confrontation, and I'll give you quick expedient victory. This time, he says, David, we're not going to do that. Now, why? I don't know. That's not my business. (laughs) I don't know why God says we're going to circle around the back this time and wait for the mulberry trees to rustle and then we'll pounce on them. I mean, God can win a battle however he wants, But certainly, I think a lot of times God may work in different and unique ways because God cares about the relationship. And so God keeps us, rather than depending upon formulas, He keeps us learning how to live in faith and learning how to live in dependency upon Him. And at the end of the day, He says, David, we're not going to fight that battle this way. Again, only God knows why He did it this way this time. Go around, circle behind them, And when they come up, when you wait till you hear the sound of the mulberry trees rustling, he says, and then when you hear that, then he says, then you go out and strike them. In other words, David, wait till you hear the sound of those mulberry trees. When you hear that, then you can discern, okay, now the Lord is beginning to work for whatever reason, the mulberry trees are rushing. And now that the Lord is beginning to work, now we need to follow the Lord into the battle and do what he wants us to do this time. And so David wisely doesn't question the difference. He just follows the Lord. It says he did so as the Lord commanded and he had victory and he had success again. But again, this is such a good reminder to us that we be careful because as people, we love formulas. And we are just as guilty of this in our spiritual lives. You know, and, and I tell you, the longer that you're a Christian, the longer you've been walking with the Lord, maybe the more victory you start to get over sin in your life or you get to you know, serve the Lord and, and, and you begin to get a little bit of spiritual you know, uh, traction. And, and, and all of a sudden, we start developing these mindsets of formulas for how God works in situations. Or we see how God works in somebody else's life and we say, well, that's how it happened in their life. That's how they found a spouse, right? Or that's how they got into ministry or that's how they overcame sin. So so that's the formula. Just follow the formula. It worked last time and it'll work again. May not be so. God may want to work completely differently. And oftentimes God purposely works differently so that he gets the glory in the work. That it's not the system or the formula or the strategy that gets venerated and some, and that's so often what happens. The Lord does something wonderful, so then somebody, well, how well, God. So then they write a book about it, and then everybody's chasing the new book. Oh, that book says the formula, and if you follow that formula, that's what happened in, in this person's life. And 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 if you pray that prayer or you follow that five keys that they did, and all of a sudden we're following formulas. We're supposed to be following the Lord, gang. <laughs> we're supposed to be following the Lord. And keeping close to the Lord and listening to Him and letting Him work uniquely in our lives the way He wants us to because God cares about the relationship. The relationship. That's what the Lord cares about. He wants to keep you and I daily praying and walking with Him and not falling in love with systems and formulas and strategies but falling in love with Him and saying, Lord, the only reason I ever have any success in any battle or any situation is if I listen to you and I do what you're asking me to do, then I'll have victory and I'll have success because he's guiding, you're just obeying the Lord and following him. And I want to encourage you tonight, maybe you're facing something in your life right now. Don't lean on your past spiritual experiences and just assume because that's how it happened in the past, that's how you should do it again. Because maybe God wants to do a new thing. And if you try and do things the old way and say, well, that's how it always worked or that's how it worked for everybody else, you may completely miss the mark and have utter defeat and failure. Perhaps you're facing a situation and and, and you're, you're prone to say, well, that, that's how I succeeded doing that last time, so I already know the strategy. Listen, don't do that. Seek the Lord, Lord. What do you want me to do? How do you want to do this? How do you want to go about that? Because if we find out that and then we walk that out in faith, that's where the Lord's favor is at. And then the wonderful thing is all the acknowledgement of the glory goes to the Lord. Lord, it was all about what you did and our perspective stays in the right place. Why don't we just close there for this evening. Let's pray and we'll stand and, and worship the Lord